0: I made London, 2012. When the dust settled on the London 2012 closing ceremonies, the development of Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park ramped up. And now 10 years on, there's big changes planned for the park and the local communities that live there. This is my London legacy. And in this episode, we'll look ahead to what's in store for
1: 2023 and beyond.
2: There's loads of opportunity. I think we've
1: only just begun. We've decided that it's time for the planning powers to go back to the boroughs.
3: I'm very passionate about social entrepreneurship and also advocating for people who are underrepresented.
2: Inclusive economy, it's about how you make these opportunities more
1: accessible and fairer. There's huge change over the next few years.
0: Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park is a place like no other. Every time you visit something's changed. Beyond the world-class sporting venues and attractions, it's a place where locals and tourists alike can visit and enjoy. But as Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park prepares to enter its teens, big plans are now in place once again. Coming up we'll hear about the thousands more homes to be built and the opportunities still ahead for local young people on the park and how education and skills is driving inclusive growth in the area. But first, Chief Executive of the London Legacy Development Corporation, Lingana.
1: What an amazing year. We really wanted to mark 10 years after the Games. And actually, we've made a tremendous impact, particularly over the summer. So there were a huge number of events going on. We managed to get three of our really lovely partners to help us sponsor a festival live site where we showed the Commonwealth Games. We had that fabulous, great get together the biggest we've ever hosted, most successful. And we've also hosted uh, the first Black Pride on the park that went extremely well. Over 25,000 people came to that event alone. And we've managed to reach some of those disadvantaged children through our East summer school, which we do every year. 2022 was pretty special as well because it was, the, it was the big post-pandemic year. It's really the first year for a while we've all been able to get out and do stuff. And we clearly um, got people in Uh, partially for that reason you know the sun was shining they could get out there weren't any restrictions on them and it's first year uh, uh, for a couple of years isn't it that we've been able to do that so yeah so with regard to events on the park I guess the first thing I'd want to mention are the concerts that we're having at the stadium because it's going to be a splendid year and they're sort of new acts for us. They're quite uh, aimed at, aimed at young people and a, a more of a diverse audience. So we've tended to do, you know, the rock stars, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, the Rolling Stones, and so on. And they're fantastic acts. But what's really great about this year going forward is we've managed to secure two wonderful acts: Burner Boy and The Weeknd. But I guess um the big star as well is we've got Major League Baseball back. So we've got Chicago Cubs and the Cardinals. They last came in 2019. It was really successful, complete sellout, and made around 40 million pounds for the London economy. So, you know, hotels, restaurants, the whole place was buzzing over the weekend. So we're really hopeful that we'll we'll have something similar. And we've also got UK Athletics coming back. So unfortunately, they didn't have an event in 2022 just because of the way the Athletics calendar was working with the Commonwealth Games. So we are really positive about welcoming them back. And they're going to do a huge community event as well towards the end of July. So that's Stadium. We are continuing with ABBA, everybody knows that we've got ABBA here, ABBA Voyage, it's a wonderful experience and if you haven't seen it you are really missing out, it's as if they're standing there from the 1970s in front of you, really is splendid and they have extended their ticket sales now to next November and then we'll have our usual events on the park so we'll be running an East Summer School as well but in partnership with our East Bank partners who've uh, been really critical in that space.
4: So that's the events. How will the park change over the next year and and, and the years after that as well? We've seen so much change in the last 10, but over the next few.
1: So first of all, East Bank opens on Stratford Waterfront. So this year, uh, the first part of East Bank opened with University College London, but that was the building behind the Aquatic Centre. That brings the first tranche of students into the park. They're all now moving into their accommodation, about 500 students on the park. Next year, importantly, Stratford Waterfront also starts to open. So this is the side that's nearest to the water, just opposite the London Stadium. We've got University of the Arts London, London College of Fashion opening. They will bring 6,000 students from 2023. And the UCL building will bring a couple of thousand more. So we'll be getting close to 10,000 students on this park by the end of next year which is a huge difference in terms of people coming and going it will really start to change the dynamic on the park Sadler's Wells will be opening towards the end of 2023 as well so we'll have a wonderful contemporary dance theatre on the park next year what else will be happening well we'll be carrying on with our housing development program so phase two of Eastwick and Sweetwater will start on site that's starting on site just in front of Heries, so that will, there'll be spades in the ground pretty soon, actually, in the, next, in the next few weeks. And when we look a bit further into the future, the park will, will start to change because these housing developments over the, over the next 10 years will generate a total of 17,000 residents in the park alone. So there's huge change over the, over the next few years as the housing development starts to come forward. To give you a sense of that, we've still got about 4,000 homes to build.
4: I mean, you mentioned about the number of residents. You mentioned how many students would be living here as well, so there'll be residents as well. Do you think at some point the park will become more of a home for people rather than just an event location?
1: So it doesn't take long for the resident dynamic to have a real feel about it in the park. And so we need to be ready for that dynamic change so so yeah i think it will i think it will change yeah and of course the park is going to be people's backyard and the place is bound to be influenced in how it runs by people who live on this park because they'll demand it you know they will be local residents mm-hmm. and we'll have to respond accordingly
4: what about the london legacy development corporation how will your organization change and develop
1: Yeah, well, we are changing. We are a mayoral development corporation, and and naturally those organizations are set up to do a job of work. We think we've, we've done the first bit of that work in the first 10 years. We've given uh, planning permissions to huge developments and and big schemes. And so accordingly, in conversation with the Mayor of London, we've decided that it's time for the planning powers to go back to the boroughs. And so that will be the first milestone, and that will happen on the 1st of December 2024, so just two years from now. We'll be formally handing those planning powers back. Um, It takes legislative change, so we're talking to the government about that. And there are plans well in train for that to happen. That means that the geography of the uh, residual organisation that's left behind will become much smaller and will consist largely just of the parklands that we own and control. So the new organisation will be focused on looking after the venues and park, keeping it really high quality, Driving inward investment because we'll still be determined to be working strategically for better jobs and skills in this area, so economic development really. And then thirdly, we'll have a little team left over who are going to finish those housing developments off. And they're going to make sure over the next 10 years that those homes are built out of the standards we all expect the park to deliver. My name's Michelle May.
2: I am the LLDC's Director for Inclusive Growth, Education and Skills within our regeneration department. My role, um, specifically in the role of my team, is to try and get as many benefits for local residents as possible from our development. And that is primarily around getting people into good jobs um, and education and skills opportunities and so there's a lot happening on the park um, that presents a lot of those opportunities, particularly east Bank um, coming in and opening soon already the opportunities that exist at here East and various other opportunities um, across the park and beyond. so we're working at the moment with a range of partners. Um, to look at how we get as many of our local residents into those um, jobs as possible. We want to see that the development here is inclusive. If you're a forward-thinking business that wants to grow, um, East London is the place to be um, to attract the sort of diverse talent um, that helps you to grow as a business. And so um, inclusive economy is, is sort of key to that, really. It's about how you make these opportunities more accessible and fairer and how you work with employers as well as individuals to think about how they attract, retain and promote that diverse talents once they have it. So, um, yeah, it's just about a sort of a fairer way of doing things, but less of a sort of a traditional CSR charitable endeavor. We're not doing people a favor here. This is about a reciprocal relationship, something that's really good for the, for the local people who get those jobs, but really game changing for the employers that benefit from that talent.
4: So how do you work with the local partners to make that positive change?
2: When we're talking to employers really we start with trying to get a bit of an understanding about what their challenges and opportunities are. So if you're talking to the construction sector they might say well we really struggle to get young people um, to become apprentices, Um, we've got an ageing workforce, we have a number of sort of skills gaps. Um, So once you're starting on what's a business need rather than a sort of CSR agenda, um, you're on a bit of a winner there. So once you sort of understand that sector a little bit and you start to, to sort of explore, well, why are you finding it difficult to attract young people? You know, do people understand locally what the breadth of opportunities are in a sector like construction, which is huge and really exciting? If you can start to get local partners, schools, parents um, and young children at school open to those opportunities then that's sort of half the battle then you start sort of start to understand well how do you recruit as employers you know what are your sort of practices like here are you used to practicing uh, recruiting through people that you know and networks and for a lot of people locally they don't have those networks they don't know someone who knows someone Do you recruit to low-paid, unpaid internships? That rules out a whole lot of people who can't and shouldn't have to work for free or for low pay. So we try to sort of identify some of those barriers in traditional speak. We work with them to open that up. So we will for example, pay bursaries um, that enable them to uh, to pay a London Living Wage Internship, for example. Rather than saying, oh, it's the digital tech creative sector, just what does that mean? What sorts of skills are people looking for? And then we'll work with school teachers, careers advisors, so that they understand what those opportunities are and can start to sell those to young people. Once they're in there, I mean they thrive and I think that's the thing. I think sometimes people are a bit nervous about doing things a little bit differently but our feedback is always that once employers have started to recruit local talent, they love the people that they recruit and they just want to do more.
4: You've also got your own legacy youth board, which I'm assuming would help.
2: Yeah, that really helps. So um, Layla Conway, my colleague, has sort of led the work around our Legacy Youth Board. And if you've met them, they're absolutely brilliant, great ambassadors for all of the work that we do. So, yeah, they go much further than being a sort of a a group that we sort of tell about our opportunities and then they sort of spread the word. They do do that. And word of mouth is really important, as you know but we do a lot of work to sort of test our plans and to co-design with those young people.
3: Hi, my name is James McGuillmore, and I'm a Legacy Youth Board member at LLDC. And I'm also a multi-award-winning founder of Skate Cabal, which is a platform that amplifies safe spaces and culture and stories for the Royal Skin community in East London. I've been on the Youth Board since July 2021 and I've lived within walking distance of Olympic Park since 2011 um, just before the Olympics um, started and I got to see how the area transformed and benefited the people that live locally and as soon as I saw the opportunity to join the board I made sure that I took it yeah because I'm very passionate about community. We have uh, monthly youth board meetings uh, with the other um, youth board members and we pretty much um, discuss various projects we also sit on committee boards, um, such as the Planning and Decisions Committee Board, um, Investment Committee, and my favourite one is Park Panel. The reason being is through that panel, um, we get to hear various stuff from the community, like whether it's problems that they want to be raised, or if there's like exciting events or programs and initiatives that they have. It's just a good forum for them to discuss. Then also get insight to um, future uh, developments that happen around the park, and you're just always in the loop. And I feel that the community will benefit through being part of these type of forums. I've always been involved in um, youth initiatives since I was 16 in 2013. And I'm very passionate about social entrepreneurship and also advocating for people who are underrepresented. And I feel that being part of this board will place me in a position to um, help amplify the voices of people that, that want their voices to be heard as well. I feel that East Bank opening will help create a lot of jobs for the community and people locally to get jobs as well. I think that's going to be the main thing, like it would be a good opportunity to have job creation and um and also there's going to be a university that's going to be opened. And also people in the creative sector who are trying to get into that um sector as well. A good opportunity yeah, for people in that space. I'll say I'm very excited, um, like being um, part of um, the youth board. We launched our brand. We are now called Elevate and we're looking to plan our next conference next year in March. And it's called Future Me, Future Youth. And it's basically a youth-led conference um, that's co-designed by both the youth board and uh, local young people uh, to provide a forum for them to discuss um, actionable steps to tackle social, environmental and other uh, government issues uh, on the park and um, also discuss issues that matter to them as well and make sure that their voices are heard and that we are like making sure that we tackle key issues that are affecting them, yeah. very important that young people are part of the process, they're going to be the future, so it's very important that we include them in um, discussions that are going to affect them later on, so I think we should always make sure that they're always in uh, these types of discussions.
2: I think we have a great relationship with the four growth boroughs and we have worked really hard with them over the years to make sure that the work that we're doing on the park builds on all of the great work and the investment that they've made in the sort of employment and skills phase. There's loads of opportunity. I think we've only just begun with things like East Bank and even on construction. I think if we were to plot out our employment um, growth, I think we don't reach our peak until something like 2028. So, if you think now is sort of, or it's done, or that it's sort of exciting now, there's a lot more to come. And it's interesting because you sort of think, well, it's cultural, creative, it's digital tech, but there's still huge amounts to do in construction and built environments. We've got those two programs. We've got two flagship facilities on the park Build East, which covers all of our construction and built environment work, and the Good Growth Hub, which is targeted more around. Um, Cultural, creative, and digital sectors, and th- and they've just sort of started, and they're sort of building up capacity. So, what's important there is um, there's all of that growth still happening on the park to 2028, 20, and probably beyond. But we're not just thinking about the park; we're sort of working with the boroughs to think about, you know, what are the wider East London opportunities. East London's growth has outstripped the rest of London, so this is the place to be if you're talking about sort of growth opportunities. And also, it's not just about matching people to the particular vacancies on the park, because the park will always, you know, there's significant job numbers, but they're not going to be the answer to, you know, the whole sort of problem around this sort of uh, worklessness piece. What we're trying to do here is to, to pilot a few things, to think about how you can trial something here and how you might take that to scale. Um, And that might be in the Royal Docks, it might be in, you know, other bits of Hackney and beyond. So how do we test some stuff here, um, start to change practice, the way that sectors recruit, you know, the things I talked about earlier, and how do you make that learning travel? So it won't all be about if you come and get involved in one of our programmes, your next step will be on a a job in the park. It might be, and that's great but we're thinking about what skills do you need and what networks do you need to access all of the opportunities across London. And we want our local young people in East London to have the competitive advantage over others. So yeah, I mean, more to come here, but this is a world city, so let's grasp it
1: all. I'm Lynne Garner. I am the Chief Executive at the London Legacy Development Corporation. If we go all the way back to the mission, the mission of the organisation is at least in part to change the lives of East Londoners. We think that's about education, jobs, high-skilled jobs, and and getting people um, the kind of opportunities that they should be afforded in some of these areas that can really be quite marginal uh, uh, in terms of the opportunities in, in London as a whole. And we've worked really hard in that space. Through all of our contractual arrangements, there are socioeconomic objectives embedded within them. So people who take leases from us are absolutely required to deliver on local job outcomes. Um, it's not as easy as just coming here and sitting here and running your business. So we've been quite uh, purist about that through everything that we do And we'll be wanting to make sure that that's delivering. We'll be acting strategically, but we've got some really fabulous partners. University College London, the other university uh, campus, also world-renowned, University of the Arts London. We've got Here East, we've got some corporate businesses here, and we'll be working with them and alongside them to make sure that that inclusive economy can be delivered through and into the boroughs and in partnership with the boroughs going
4: forward. Which brings us on to the final question. Where do you see Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park in the next 10 years?
1: The most important thing is that in this part of London, we continue to drive inward investment. So people looking at what what's happening in the park, appreciating the inclusive nature of the economy that we're driving and wanting to be part of that. And we know when we look around at business these days that... Um, economic and social objectives are really important to them. So whether that's sustainability, you know, zero carbon, we're totally signed up to that agenda. We've got some fantastic sustainability credentials. We think that business will want to come and invest here through some of our um, innovation networks and work that we're doing in here East. We think people will come. I think first and foremost then, it's about inward investment. And then secondary it's about making sure that we look after the place and maintain it at that wonderful level. Eventually, development will peter out and it will all be built. So those two things will be the primary objectives in the, in the long term.
0: That's Lingana, Chief Executive of the London Legacy Development Corporation, on the big changes ahead for Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park. The Olympic and Paralympic Games of London are long gone, but the park will be a place where local people, sports fans and visitors alike will enjoy for years to come this is my london legacy a queen elizabeth olympic park podcast celebrating 10 years on from london 2012 download and follow for many more special stories or check out the website QueenElizabethOlympicPark.co.uk. olympic park.co.uk